future of Judea is uncertain, but I bring you God's message. Salvation will be found in the name of Jesus Christ. Philip. Philip. What brings you here? I thought you'd be in Jerusalem. I was coming back to be with you all. You've been doing so well. Your work in Samaria. Many more have come to Jesus. But how can I ignore Jerusalem? It's our home. It's the center of everything. Jesus told us to spread his word to the ends of the earth. Your work is vital. So what should I do now? Go to the south. To the desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. We should go. Right now. Go where? The Gaza Road. What are you talking about? You didn't see the angel. Go. Do as the angel commanded. And I'll press on towards Joppa. up today the series on Acts. It would have been wonderful if, if the AD uh, series on TV would have gone all the way through the book of Acts. That would have taken forever if they would have done that. Um, but uh, actually, I believe it's next Sunday is the last episode if you're watching that on NBC. Um, and I have really enjoyed it. They've done a great job with it. And I guess they're coming out with a, a new series. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. So my memory technology just went kind of zap on me, you know, so the memory went out. I don't remember exactly what, what uh, the next series is that they're coming up with, but it'll be a good one, and, and we, we hope that uh, it'll be a great blessing to your life as well. But um, anyway, I'm going to close out our series on the book of Acts that we've been talking about. And today I want to talk uh, with you about how the book of Acts doesn't end that there's no real ending to it. You know, uh, we're ending our series, but there are so many great stories that continue to flow through the remainder of the book of Acts. For one thing, one of the, the interesting events that takes place is that, that Saul, who is now converted to Christ, you know, the great persecutor of the church, of early, Christ, early church Christians, um, he has now converted to Christ, and, and he has changed his name. He has changed his name from Saul, which is his Jewish or Hebrew uh, name, to Paul, which is his Roman name. Interestingly, that uh, through his father, Paul was a Roman citizen, okay? And so after his conversion, he took his uh, Roman name instead of his Jewish name, and he became known as Paul, and to most of us became known as the Apostle Paul. And uh, throughout the book of Acts, you see this great Apostle Paul, this, this incredible man of God, being used of God to take the message throughout the Roman Empire until he was eventually arrested by Rome and uh, taken to Rome itself. And that's where the book of Acts kind of leaves Paul, in Rome. 
Now, we really don't know much beyond that as to what happened in his life. Early church historians believe that Paul was uh, probably beheaded in Rome uh, after several years of imprisonment, somewhere around AD 65. We don't know for sure what happened to him, but what we do know is that this man left an impact for Jesus Christ upon the then known world, unlike any other man ever had before him or even his contemporaries, and really more than any other man since then other than Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul is such a central figure of the early church that over half of the book of Acts is talking about him. That's how important he was to formation of the Christian church. And then there's the fact that not only is over half the book of Acts dealing with Paul, but Paul en actually ends up writing over half of the New Testament. So that's the, the kind of impact this man had upon the early church faith and upon our faith today because that faith is still transmitted to him, to us rather. I definitely encourage you to... Uh, to continue to read, even though the, the AD series ends, read the rest of the book of Acts, especially if you haven't ever read it before. But read it and let the Holy Spirit begin to talk uh, with you about what he wants to do in and through your life. You know, as I thought about how God would have me to end this series of messages, uh, in fact, Pastor Sid came into my office, he said, uh, uh, what, what's your final message going to be? And I said, you know, I don't know for sure, but I'm just, I'm compelled by the, the title of the book, Acts. There was just something about the name of the book that the Holy Spirit was dealing with my heart about Acts. It has traditionally been called the Acts of the Apostles. Now, the reason why the book of Acts was called the Acts of the Apostles is that the author of the book, who is Luke, is the same man who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke was considered a book about the Acts of Jesus. In fact, it's interesting to me, anyway, that for years, the Gospel of Luke was called Luke's Acts of Jesus after it was written. But then after Luke wrote the book of Acts, it became known as Luke's Acts of the Apostles. And that's the reason why that title hang, hung on to that particular book. I think probably more ac a more accurate description or a title, a more accurate title of that book might be a few of the Acts of a few of the Apostles. That would probably be more accurate because primarily the apostles that are mentioned in the book of Acts are just Peter and, and, and uh, Peter and Paul. Those are the two that it focuses on more than any of the rest of them. And even several years of their ministry is not engaged in the book. So Acts doesn't really deal with everything that all the apostles did. Acts deals with some of the things that a few of the apostles did. But even so, as a book of history, the history of the formation of the church, it is a, a book of action. It's a book that's doing something. It's telling us something about power, about spiritual power, about God working. So to me, it is more than a book about the acts of, of, 
some of God's people. It's more a book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Really, the focus of the book of Acts is not Paul and Peter, as important as they were. They were instruments. But the force behind it all was the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit coming in and through God's people in a new way. So in the book of Acts, we see the Spirit bringing thousands upon thousands to faith in Jesus Christ. I have people, other pastors and, and other people asking me all the time, why is it that Life Church sees so many people come to Christ? Why are so many converted to the Lord at Life Church? And I say, it has nothing to do with us. It's everything to do with the power of the Holy Spirit honoring the Word of God that's being preached. That's the reason why people are drawn to the Lord. We see this originally in the book of Acts. Thousands upon thousands of people coming to Jesus Christ as Savior. We see the Spirit releasing uh, supernaturally Peter and Paul miraculously from prison multiple times, multiple times. We see him healing the sick. We see him raising the dead. We see him bringing judgment on church phonies. We see him bringing organization. You know, have you, have you ever heard, I, I love Jesus, I just hate organized religion? Well, then you don't like what God's Spirit is doing because the Spirit of the Lord in the book of Acts organizes the church. You want to know why organization is important? Because if you don't have organization, you have no effectiveness. You've got to have organization. You say, no, you don't. Yes, you do. If we hadn't organized this service as a 9.30 in the morning service and you just came whenever, what kind of chaos would that be? Organization is nothing more than bringing order out of chaos, right? And so here we see the Holy Spirit organizing the church and its ministries. We see the Holy Spirit in Acts making clear God's will regarding regulations for new Gentile believers. On and on and on we could go about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a book of action because it's based on the action of the Holy Spirit. And that just reminds me, church, that God did not save us to make us religious. God saved us to use us to make us mighty for him, that just as he was mighty through that early church and, and the early church believers, he, he, he wants to be mighty in you and me in 2015 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Hallelujah. How many of you believe that God wants to be mighty in Salt Lake City, Utah? I believe that. It's interesting to me, as I said earlier, that the book of Acts has no ending. Well, I mean, obviously it ends but it has no formal ending. If you go to most of the other books of the New Testament, you will see an obvious ending to most of those books. I kind of thumbed through my Bible, just looked at the end of different books of the New Testament, and, and you'll see the books ending with the word amen. You'll get an amen, you know, or you'll get a final expression from Paul, perhaps, of love to whoever he's writing to, or a prayer for grace for, for God's people, for whoever he's writing to. But go to the end of the book of Acts, and you, and you read some final commentary about Paul in Rome. It doesn't ever end. Uh, tell us how it ends. This is what it says, verses 30 and 31 of Acts 28. For the next two years, 
Paul lived in Rome at his own expense, and he welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. That's it. That's how the book ends. It's as if, to me, the Holy Spirit is wanting to let us know that the book of Acts is still being written, not in the sense that we're adding to Scripture, but in the sense of experience, that what God was doing then, he's still doing today through people of faith. You know, I once led a, a building program in a church that we called Acts 29. Now, we called it Acts 29 because the final chapter of the book of Acts is Acts 28. And so this is kind of the, 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 the line that we took with it. We said, God is still wanting to make history through his people today. We're going to write a new chapter. We're going to let Jesus write a new chapter of his working, of his power in and through our lives. Uh, so we're calling our church building program Acts 29. And sure enough, someone in the church claimed that I was trying to add to Scripture and convinced several other people within the church that I was a false teacher because I was adding to Scripture, and they all bolted and left the church. I want to be clear with you this morning. I am not suggesting that we add to Scripture. I believe that the Scripture is complete, that God has completed it in the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament. His, his revelation to us is completed in the documents of the Bible. I accept no other writings as Scripture. But I do believe that God wants to do acts in and through his people today still. If the book of Acts does anything for you beyond just giving you a history lesson of the formation of the early church, I believe that God would want us to be challenged today. Lord, use me. God, as you use them, would you use me? As you flowed through them, would you flow through me? As you saved the lost, would you save the lost today? As you healed the sick, would you heal the sick? Oh, God, do today what you did then. Amen? And in that way, we have so much in common with those early church believers. But as I thought about it, there were a few other areas that we have in common with them as well that I see happening in our world today. And I wanted to share just three of those things with you. The first one I would give you is this, growing persecution against believers. What do we have in common with the early church? I wish I didn't have to talk about this one. But there's growing persecution in the world against believers. Look at just some of the persecution that's mentioned um, in the book of Acts that, that we've dealt with up to this point. Acts chapter uh, 3, verse 3, it talks about Peter and John being arrested and put in prison. In Acts 5, 18... All the apostles are arrested. I just realize now that you have to write that in, so I'll try to go slow. So Peter and John are arrested in, the, in Acts 3.3. By Acts 5.18, all of the apostles are now imprisoned. All right? And keep in mind, when they're imprisoned, we're not talking about, you know, the kind of prisons we have today. And I'm not saying prisons today are easy, but 
compared to what they went through then, to prisons today are easy. And, and these, these guys were horrifically treated before they were ever put in the prison, before they were ever put behind bars. They were beaten. Uh, Acts 6.12 talks about Stephen being arrested. What happened to him? He was stoned to death. He was martyred. Um, and then in Acts 8.1, it talks about a great wave of persecution. Remember we talked about that? Sweeping over the church and that it has the effect of scattering the believers out of Jerusalem. It says that everybody except the apostles, and it, it probably didn't actually mean everyone, but many of the believers except for the apostles, scattered out of Jerusalem for their lives, running for their lives. The backfire, as far as Satan is concerned, is that everywhere they went, they, went, they took the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and so now the church is just exploding in growth, you know. But that happens in Acts 8. And, and then in Acts chapter 9, we have the conversion of Saul, and here it talks to us about after his conversion, him... Um, well, I'll just give you real quickly that uh, in Damascus, the Jews plot to kill him. And so he, he goes down to Jerusalem to meet with the other apostles and he starts debating in the synagogue there and the Jews there try to kill him. So now here again, we have, um, we have an attack against the, the physical life of, of Saul. In chapter 12, James is killed. And then Peter is imprisoned again. In Acts 13, it talks about mobs being incited against now called Paul and running him out of town. And, and you know, you've heard the expression tar and feather. They, you know, they uh, treated him harshly, getting him out of town. And Acts continues to talk about stonings. Um, it, it continues to talk about imprisonment. It talks about being left for dead. Paul talks about that. It talks about more mob scenes, talks about more beatings, and on and on and on we could go uh, that the believers endured because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In Acts 3.3, Peter and John are arrested. Oh, excuse me, I, didn't, I already done that one. In 2 Corinthians 11, Verses 24 through 27, I think that's in your notes. Paul opens up a little bit about what he experienced at the hands of Christ haters. Is that in your notes? Okay, this is, this is so powerful. He talks about five times uh, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. I, want you, I just want to pause right there. I don't want to jump over that. Five times, 39 lashes. I, I mean, I can't even conceive of that. Can you imagine what his back looked like? Five times. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Do you remember, uh, you young ones won't, but 20 years ago, there was a young man over in Indonesia, I think, who did some graffiti. You know, if, if we did in America what they did in Indonesia to that young man, we wouldn't have any graffiti problem at all. They, they did what they called caning him. He was caned. And when he was interviewed afterwards, he said it was the most horrific pain he's ever experienced in his life, that when he was hit with those canes, it split open his skin. That's how horrific this was. I don't get too graphic with you. That happened three times to Paul. 
just for sharing his faith. He didn't graffiti anything. He didn't go with a can of spray paint and put Jesus is Lord on the side of the synagogue. You know, he just preached Christ. And for that, he was caned. He says, once I was stoned. That's not talking about alcohol or drugs. He said, three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift in the sea. I just want this stuff to settle in on you. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And if I'd have kept on going, he'd talk about his burden for the church that is on top of that, the burden that he carries for the believers. The believers of the book of Acts suffered. They suffered a lot. Jesus said this would happen. In John 15, 20, he told his disciples, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It is a fact that following Christ has always made us prone to emotional and, and physical trauma or attack, to persecution. That's why Jesus said, you know, if they hit you on the one cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. We have, we have messed that scripture up so bad as to what it means. Um, I've, I've heard people say on the basis of that scripture that we should never go to war, that we should never fight for anything. Um, and that's a whole other sermon. I'm not going to get into that. But that's a total misapplication of the scripture. You know what the scripture is referring to? It's referring to persecution. When you are slapped or hit because of your faith in Christ, you turn the other also. In other words, be, what he's saying is be willing to suffer for God. Be willing to suffer for Jesus. And the reason for that is that Jesus also said in Matthew 5, God blesses you when people mock you. You want the blessings of God? Be willing to be mocked. And when they persecute you, and when they lie about you, God blesses you when that happens. And say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. You are going to be blessed when that happens. The favor of God's going to settle upon you in a greater way. Be happy about it, he says. Are you kidding me? That's what it says. Maybe I should have found a different translation. I don't like that one. It says, be happy about being persecuted. Be very glad, he goes on to say, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. See, we're so focused here. We've got to change our focus to there and understand that we're headed somewhere. We're going somewhere, folks. This is not the final destination, amen? This, we're, we're on our way, okay? And it said, a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, that's not just happening in other countries around the world. It, it, it's a growing threat in America, too. 
It is true that we haven't seen the violence in America against believers that is happening in other countries today, especially in, with Islamic terrorists and militants and so forth, but we are seeing a growing intolerance in America to our values and to our voice. I don't know what the future holds in regards to persecution, and I don't think that we need to overstate the situation, but I also don't think that we should understate the reality. The truth is, there is only one way for you and me to face persecution out there and to survive, but not only survive, but to thrive in victory. There's only one way to be happy and joyful in the midst of it, and that's through the power of the Holy Spirit because only he will sustain you. Only he will give you the, the power to overcome. Over and over again, as I read through the book of Acts, I see this, this statement made about different individuals. It'll talk about, say for instance, I'll just throw Stephen's name out there. You know the first thing it says about Stephen? A man filled with the Holy Spirit. A man filled with the Holy Spirit. And it'll talk about the... Uh, Annas, and it'll say, a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And it'll talk about Paul, a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Dorcas, a woman filled with the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over again, you see these, these references to the individuals of, of the book of Acts, and it says that about them, that they were men and women filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to tell you, this is going to be essential in these last days that you be filled with the Spirit. And so I'm just going to give you real quickly what that means. When you are saved, you are filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. But there is an additional empowerment of the Spirit called the baptism in the Holy Spirit that is offered, it was offered to these apostles, to this early church, and folks, I don't see that we need it any less today than they needed it then. And I know that some of my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I love them, but I disagree with them, they say that was just for then, it's not for now. That's absolutely false. Where you see the church of Jesus Christ exploding in the world is where you see men and women of faith saying, we need the power of the Spirit, and they seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and they receive this empowering of the Spirit who comes to dwell upon them and anoint them and gives them a new prayer language we call tongues, and it becomes a powerful resource for people of faith. I tell you, if you've not received that, don't be content to just be saved. Ask God to fill you. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit within your life. Hallelujah. Okay. Growing persecution is something that we have in common with the uh, early church. Another thing we have in common with them is great opportunities for miracles. Great opportunities for miracles. In fact, the last two I'm going to give you are very positive. I've already dealt with the negative one, all right? So the next two are going to be fun. Great opportunities for miracles. How many want to see more miracles happen? I want to see more of God's miraculous power flowing in our lives, in our church, through our lives, you know what? We're, we're going to see that. When you read the book of Acts, it seems like most every time Satan incited persecution or opposition against the church, God showed up in great power. So Satan incites the imprisonment of Peter. They throw him in jail. God's people start praying, and all of a sudden, God opens the jail, and out comes Peter, you know? In fact, 
I, I love that portion of Scripture because Peter shows up at the house where they're praying for him. You know the story? And he knocks on the door, and the little gal comes to the door to uh, see who's knocking on the door, and she sees that it's Peter, and her mouth drop, drops open, you know. Her, her, she's like, oh, I can't believe it. Shuts the door, doesn't even let him in. Shuts the door on him, runs back and tells the people who are praying, you know, we've been praying for Peter's release. He's right outside the door. No. Nah. Can't be, can't be, you know. And they go and they open the door and there's Peter there and they invite him on in. I, I like that portion of scripture because sometimes I have faith like that too. And it makes me feel like I'm not the only one, <laughs> you know. But some of them struggled with faith sometimes, just like Thomas struggled with faith about Jesus being resurrected. But we see God showing up over and over and over again. Whenever the opposition got the worst, God would show up in greater power, a physical healing, someone being released from demonic oppression or possession, people by the thousands coming to Christ, on and on and on. All of these things, you see it over and over again in the book of Acts. It is a principle of Scripture. I want to give this to you this morning. It's from Romans chapter 5 and verse number 20 where it promises us this, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Hallelujah. It's all the more. The spiritual darkness of our world today is abounding. It's getting so dark out there that some of God's people are getting very depressed. It's depressing believers. It's like what Peter said about Lot in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, where he called him a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. I know that many of you are growing sick inside of the, uh, of the shameful immorality of the day in which we live. I certainly am. And Satan wants to discourage us with that. He wants us to see that and to think, hey, we have lost. The cause of Christ is lost. There's no victory out there. But Romans 5.20 reminds us all today, brothers and sisters, that where sin abounds, where darkness abounds, God's going to raise up a light that's so powerful and so mighty, it's going to shine in spite of what the enemy wants to do. So, so I just want to encourage you this morning, instead of getting defeated, instead of getting depressed at, at what's happening in your family or what's happening where you work or, or what's happening in the news in the world. Start seeing opportunities for Jesus to start working in greater ways than he ever has because where the darkness is the darkest, the light's going to shine the brightest. Uh, where sin abounds, grace is going to much more abound. We're going to see a great harvest of people into the kingdom of God. In fact, I will prophesy to you, although I'm not a prophet, but I will prophesy to you anyway. That seems, well, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that seems to work around here. Anyway, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prophesy to you that we are going to see more people, a greater harvest of souls coming into the kingdom of God unto Jesus. They may not all come to Life Church. They may go to whatever church God leads them to, but we're going to see a harvest of souls in the Salt Lake area because as it's getting darker out there, brothers and sisters, the light is is going to shine. So if you live, if you work in a really dark area, 
spiritually dark area, be looking for Jesus to show up in abundance. Amen? Amen. Be looking for him to show up in abundance. Start saying, okay, God, what are you going to do through me today? Here I am. I'm your vessel. I'm ready to be used. It's getting dark here. The jokes are getting horrific at work. The language is getting unbelievable at work. What I see happening in the lives of people is I just can't even conceive of it anymore. It's like so far beyond where I thought we would ever be. I'm ready for you to do something great. Here I am, Lord. I'm your vessel ready to be used. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. The third thing that we have in common with believers is uh, we are one day closer to the coming of Jesus. Yeah. It's one of the themes also in the book of Acts. Did you know that? Um, when Jesus ascends into heaven, this is what the Bible tells us, Acts 1, 10, and 11. As they strained to see him, talking about Jesus rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now, doesn't it seem unreasonable that God would say, why are you standing here staring at Jesus going up and, I mean, wouldn't you stand there and stare? There he goes, whoa, you know. You know what I think it's trying to say to us? I think it's trying to say to us, get busy, because he's coming back. All right, don't just stand here. Have you ever been in a church that's so focused on the blessing on them that they have no focus on the world? I see that all the time. And it just really disturbs me. The churches, they get so focused on how they're going to be blessed and what God's going to do and in their church. And, you know, and I, I believe all of those things. But listen, the, the reason Jesus heals you is for you to take the message. The reason Jesus baptizes you in the Spirit is not just to give you a prayer language, it's to, for you to have power to take the message out there. The reason Jesus, um, you know, works in miracle powers for you to have a miracle to tell people about, to give them hope because they need hope out there. Uh, all of their immoralities breeding a hopelessness within them. But God wants to use you to bring hope to them, you know. And so he'll work a miracle in your life so that you can take hope into their lives. The Apostle Paul said that this is the way that it's going to happen when Jesus comes again. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. That's what's going to happen. All of a sudden we're gonna, we will... What's going to happen is one of these days, one of these Sundays, it'll be our last Sunday. I don't know that he'll come on Sunday, but I'm just saying one of these Sundays is going to be our last one. Wouldn't it be something if while we're in worship right here, boom, all of us left, you know? Woo! We got a new puppy here a few weeks ago, about a month ago. So I went to one of our sisters this past week on Wednesday, and I said, I won't tell you who. I said, hey, sis. Uh, if when the rapture happens, will you take care of my puppy? <laughs> ah. Her husband thought that was a kick, man. He, he said he was laughing. Yeah, that's right, Pastor. All right, just joking, just joking. My heart echoes what the Apostle John said in Revelation 22:20. 20. 
It says, he, meaning Jesus, who testifies to these things, says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. And this is my prayer. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I pray it all the time. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I don't pray it just so I can get out of my problems. Some people pray that, oh, God, I got such a rough life. Would, Jesus, would you come get me out of this? I think that, I don't think that's a good reason to pray that prayer. I think we pray that prayer because we want the kingdom of God to rule and to reign upon this planet. We are vexed in our souls. That's the King James word for what happened a lot. It says his righteous soul was vexed. It, it was grieved, deeply grieved. We, we are that way. I, I get so tired of it. I am ready for Jesus to come back and establish his kingdom. I don't know if that's going to happen in my lifetime or not, but it doesn't matter because the dead in Christ rise first, and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together. So however it happens. So here's the deal. If you're a believer... You need to be a person of acts, of action, okay? That's what God's calling you to be. And if you've never made a decision to make Jesus Christ your personal Savior and your Lord, then you need to act. In fact, you need to act right now, today, because God's Word says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.